Jess Connolly, and you are listening to the Go and Tell Gals podcast. We exist to equip and encourage kingdom women who are using their God-given gifts for the good of others and the glory of God. If you are a mom, a student, an artist, a doctor, we are hoping that this episode will leave you encouraged and ready to run. We're so glad you're here. Let's go. Hey friends, it's Jess here. Listen, today we are talking with Irene Rollins. And for the past few years, I have heard my friends just raving about Irene. Maybe they met her at an event or they followed her on social media and they are all telling me, you have got to meet Irene and you've got to have her on the Go and Tell Girls podcast. So we are thrilled to have her on this fall. You might have noticed we're not doing as many interviews as we used to, but this is one interview we really wanted to bring you. As soon as I clicked on Irene's website, I was like, okay, wow. I love this girl. I really resonate with how she's doing ministry. I love her calls to action about let's go on a journey of freedom from shame. I'm like, yes, amen, amen, amen. But today I want to talk to her not only about freedom and not only about shame, but we also talk a little bit about addiction and mental health as kingdom women, knowing that a lot of us are potentially struggling here and we want to bring it into the light. So what I want to tell you before the interview is that at the end of this episode, we're going to have a list of resources if you're struggling in any way, shape, or form. We really want to be on your team and we want to give you some resources that will help. So stay tuned for the end of this episode for a handful of resources. Enjoy this interview with Irene Rollins. All right, friends, I am so grateful. You've already heard me say this, but I am so incredibly grateful for Irene Rollins joining us today. Thank you so much for being on the Go and Tell Gals podcast. Oh my goodness. It's an extreme honor for me to be a part of this oh. podcast. You have no idea. Just from the name alone, Go and Tell, it's so empowering. Um, I love when empowered women like yourself empower other women. So that's what I'm all about. Oh, listen, you live that out so well. I was actually thinking about this as I was reading your bio and reading about all that you've done. And I don't know if you work under the title pastor, but I instinctively want to call you Pastor Irene, just as I've begun following you, because I feel like you pastor women and men so well. But I'm like, I feel so personally pastored by you, even just in your content. And so I don't know if a lot of people end up calling you Pastor Irene, but I want to say like, oh, Pastor Irene, thank you. <laughs> We're ready. We're ready. We're ready. Shepherd us. Yes, absolutely. I am a pastor at heart. I can't run from that call and that anointing on my life. So when you call me pastor, all that means to me is that you want to receive pastoral from me. So, well, we do. We do. Check yes. Will you just tell everybody about your life, your ministry? Like, just give us everything. We want to hear like what God's called you to, what it looks like for you to run on mission. Sure. Well, first of all, my first mission is to my family. My husband been married to Demi Rollins for 23 years, and it's been the best seven years ever, which is a true story, long story. We launched a marriage ministry called Two Equals One. Our goal is to empower marriages, equip marriages, educate people about marriage and having like the, the marriage that they dreamed of, one of laughter, love, and longevity. So I love that we get to do that and share more about what God's done in our life and tools to coach other people. 
And then I have three amazing children, a 21-year-old girl, Kayla, who's in full-time ministry. And then I have a 20-year-old, Jaden. He's a boy. And a 17-year-old girl, Maya. And she, Maya's the only one at home right now. I'm almost an empty nester. So I'm in that phase of life. <laughs> Used to pastor a church with my husband. We served his parents for like 10, 12 years. And then we relaunched their ministry as I-5 City. That was the name of our church in the just south of Baltimore, Maryland. And we did that for 10 years and before we transitioned into just the marriage space. And as you know, I'm a recovery activist, so, <laughs> and an author. Yes, yes. And we're so grateful for all of it. I want to dive right in and just talk about addiction. And I've already told you, and I, but I want to say it for everyone on the podcast. This is a request we get so often from Go and Tell Gals listeners and women who come under us for coaching that just say, listen, like where and how can we talk about our struggles with addiction as we're running on mission? Because it would be so naive of us to think that no one, no one in ministry, no one in mission-minded jobs is struggling in this way. And I'm so grateful for your wisdom and your insight here and for your your shame-free approach to helping people step into the light and get some healing. Will you tell us a little bit about your story in this area and what your work looks like right now as far as addiction recovery? November 12th, 2015, I had my last drink. So I am almost seven years sober to date. And I am free from alcohol addiction, recovering from alcohol addiction, I should say. And I have really devoted my life to educating people about not only developing an awareness of the things that led to my alcoholism and to that can lead, you know, any struggle that anybody has that can lead to addiction. I just have this goal to make people aware because I was unaware for way too long about how my past and my trauma, my the way I processed my emotions, my dealt with my stress, all of those things impacted the way I viewed myself and what I reached for to medicate. So I medicated with alcohol. It was not something I woke up in the morning and said, oh, yay, I'm going to become an alcoholic. No. When we reintroduced it back into our lives on vacation, early 30s, I'm 45 years old right now, and early 30s, you know, what's the big deal about alcohol? And we added it back to the mix, but I had already created the little alcoholic when I introduced myself to alcohol at 10 years old when I lived overseas and helped myself to my dad's Guinness. Bottles of Guinness beer every day because I thought it had vitamins. I didn't know anything about alcohol. Wow. So, <laughs> so sweet. So, yeah. So it's like I here I was taking one a day, altering my brain chemistry. Then I go off to boarding school and do what all the other kids are doing, which is drink to obliteration. <laughs> we were inebriated, like you drank to get slammed. And so I abused it, then found Jesus at 21 and started popping out babies and serving God. So I didn't think, you know, much of alcohol. I still had a desire for it, but I didn't tell anybody about it. So when we introduced it, I, I picked back up where I left off. So it quickly over a six-year period of time, while we were leading a church, while I was a mother, while I am a married woman, while I am a daughter of God, 
I began to medicate with alcohol and it hijacked my brain. And at that point, I threw away all my morals, values, things that I cared about most for the substance of alcohol. And I couldn't control it. And I needed help. And I didn't know that I could ask for help. Didn't know that I could talk about it. Didn't know that I could talk about my past and that, you know, just in a sharing of a testimony is one thing, but to actually do the work to get free from my past, I had not coupled that with my altar experience where I encountered Jesus and brought it to him. So my past was just really showing up and I didn't know what to do with it. And alcohol satiated the pain I was experiencing. And like I said, slippery slope of addiction, I rolled right into it. I didn't see it coming. That's the crazy thing because I had no awareness of alcoholism. I thought it was the guy under the bridge with the brown paper bag. So I just didn't think it could happen to me. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, can I ask a question that I have actually like no idea what the answer is, but I have a feeling that a lot of women listening are saying like, how will we know? How will we know it's alcoholism and how will we know it's a habit and how will we know it's healthy? Because again, just like you, I think so many of us, maybe in certain seasons of ministry or running on mission like this, maybe alcohol wasn't even a thought in our brains, you know? And so we're like, what does, and obviously not just alcohol, but any other substance or any other, you know, habit that turns addiction, what are some warning signs that you as a recovery activist or or even just some flags that you encourage people to pay attention to? Absolutely. The question we have to ask ourselves is, number one, is there anything in my life that is out of moderation? So if it's out of moderation, then it's probably not healthy for me. So the warning signs to look for is it, I'm, I'm, am I preoccupied by this person, this thing, it ministry? Am I so preoccupied by it that it has gotten out of moderation and my relationship with God has been impacted because I'm doing more for him than I am spending time with him? Is my relationship with my husband suffering because I'm so disconnected because I'm so busy with my projects and everything at my to-do list and everything? to do. Is the substance, does it have me so preoccupied that let's say it's food and I've gained, you know, so much weight that now I'm getting diabetic, you know, diabetes or, you know, other health issues are escalating. So are the consequences of your use of whatever it is escalating? And if they are, check it before it checks you. Because once your brain is hijacked, and I use that word hijacked because you're out of control at that point. At that point, when it's like a spectrum, when you're at that point in the dependency spectrum, it's very difficult to stop without help. So the warning signs are, do I feel shame about it? And am I hiding it? Am I using it to take me somewhere emotionally? I'm not talking about like just sitting down and binge watching Netflix on Saturday once a month or every once in a while because you need to check out. Talking about if you are watching Netflix so much that you're not leaving the house, you're not showering, you're not, you know what I mean? Like your life is impacted and because of your overdoing of that thing. It could be exercise, shopping, gambling. You know, it's not just substances. It can be love addiction, ministry addiction, religious addiction. I could go on and on and on. Even something like our mental health. So people don't 
talk about that enough about the the fact that addiction and mental health go hand in hand. So addiction is a mental health disorder. So if we have something already existing, depression, anxiety, unaddressed ADHD that's causing anxiety and depression, bipolar, I could go on and on with about the mental health issues, PTSD would, you know, trauma to our brain. If we have all of these things and then we add alcohol or we add the overuse of anything, it can become an addiction. So that's pretty much like a summary of what it looks like. So when we're unaware, we can easily fall into it like I did. So the whole key yeah. is to be able to be aware because the Apostle Paul says it really well in 1 Corinthians 6. He just talks about everything being permissible for us, but not everything is beneficial. So everything yeah. is permissible, but I won't be mastered by anything. So be careful what you might be mastered by or enslaved by, whether it be food, person, place, or thing. So good. I'm so grateful. That's such a great unpacking. And I know a lot of women are going to be really served by just unpacking and letting all of that hit the air. What are some pivotal moments that helped you like step into the light? And yeah, I'm curious for anyone listening who's like, maybe one of these is an area, maybe multiple of these is an area. I am no longer at the point where I can just, you know, I can just make a plan and get out of this. I need some help. I need to let this struggle hit the light. What did that look like for you? And how would you encourage those women? I didn't know how to get honest. I didn't, like, honesty was something my husband was really good at, but I wasn't sure I would, from because of the way I grew up, and this is why our past impacts our present, like our, the way we were raised, the way we experienced love growing up. I was in a household that we had the no talk rule. So I didn't know I was allowed to share my emotions. I didn't know how to connect with myself and be honest with myself enough to share what was going on inside of me and had this whole pretending and performing thing because perfectionism was how you didn't get in trouble. Perfectionism was the the survival mechanism, the survival tool. So I'm an adult, yet I was an emotional infant, for lack of a better word didn't know how to really test my reality and see what's true and what's not true, how to honor myself and what I was feeling and self-care and all of those things. Like I just had no clue how to do it. So just want to encourage people that get honest with yourself. Like God can handle it. He created you. He created us all in his image. We are all broken. We all have hurts. We all have hangups. And we all have habits that can hold us back from being the best version of ourselves. So if we get honest, and for me, getting honest happened when I was in rehab. It took me becoming an alcoholic, hitting rock bottom, getting into a facility that treated dual diagnosis, which was the alcoholism, which was the symptom, and then dealt with my PTSD, which at that time I had no clue about. I was 38 years old and didn't know that the things I had experienced were abuse. It was my normal. That was my dysfunction, you know, growing up. So I thought that was my normal. And didn't everybody else experience that? And it's not okay. And it damaged me and it hurt me. So I needed to deal with it. And that's what I loved about the rehab I went to. 
I got to learn about the damage that was caused to my brain and how I could rewire my thinking and the dysfunction and the underlying issues. But I had to get honest first. And it took till day 38. I was in rehab for 38 days struggling with denial. I could not say I was an alcoholic. I could say I had PTSD, codependent, dysfunctional family, blah, 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 bad communication with my husband. I could admit all those things. But to say I was an alcoholic was just... I couldn't cross that threshold. Like the shame was just too much. So I remember the moment and it's different for everyone, but you'll have a revelation moment from God where he's just like puts his finger on something and the light bulb goes off. And mine was when I was in AA that they were forcing me to go to because I don't know why they were making me go to these meetings. I mean, I'm not an alcoholic. I didn't, you know, yeah, I drink to blackout and I'm drinking and driving and having relational issues and all the signs are there, but I'm not an alcoholic. And the devotion that day, the reading was about, we're looking at our lives through the bottom of a glass. So it's distorted. There are people right on the other side of that glass that love us. There's a God that loves us, but we can't even accept and receive their love because we're looking through a distor- at life through a distorted lens. And that's when the light bulb went off for me. I'm like, Jimmy isn't punishing me by sending me to rehab and giving me an ultimatum. He actually loves me that much that he wants me to get help. My children love me and want me to get well. Like, God loves me and forgives me and his grace applies to me too, not just the people at my church. So I needed forgiveness. I needed forgiveness from God. I had to forgive myself. And that light bulb moment, the fact that I could still be loved, even though I was flawed, that was my moment of receiving God's grace. And in our weakness, his power is perfected. So when I admitted my weakness that I can't drink, It's like the grace of God came in me and gave me a power that was supernatural to walk out this recovery journey. And now I can boast, as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, like now I can boast about the work of Christ in me. I can boast about what he has done in my life because it's glorifying him and it's making me strong. Every time I admit it, I'm submitting that I can't do this alone, God, I need you. And then I'm submitting it out loud, saying I am an alcoholic. That means I'm allergic to alcohol and I can never drink again. And that does not mean I am bad. Now I got to go and tell others that they can do the same so that they can get free. All right, friends, you guys know that we love coaching here at Go and Tell Gals, but did you know that one way we coach women is through our products? So we actually love coaching women through t-shirts and hats and all different types of fun little things like keychains and stickers. And the reason why is we want to speak life for you. We want to speak life over you right where you're at in your most tender moments. And we actually have a new line of products that launched today. I'm not even embarrassed to tell you they're the cutest things we've made so far. We have a super cute black crop top that says, not in a hurry, come on. We have a beautiful sweatshirt that's like brilliantly colored that 
talks about the kingdom of God that you're going to want to check out. We just have some of our favorite things we've ever made. And just to bless you for being a podcast listener, we want to give you a 10% discount code that you can use anytime. That code is on mission, O-N-M-I-S-S-I-O-N, all one word. It'll get you 10% off everything in the shop and you can use it whenever. But if I were you, I would hop on some of these new fall styles. We're grateful for you. Let's keep going. So good. One thing I just hear ultimately in you sharing that, that I just want to capture for some other women is, I mean, obviously when I hear you tell your story and I'm seeing it from a kingdom perspective, all I can imagine is God being compassionate towards you. Mm-hmm. All I can imagine, like even when he's full of grace and full of truth, all I can imagine is him saying like, oh, Irene, I'm so sorry this happened to you. I'm so sorry that as a kid, like there was this pivotal moment, you know, that actually changed your brain chemistry forever when you did not, you did not mean to be doing something harmful, you know, like I'm so sorry that these lies were spoken over you or that this happened. And I think one thing I just want to encourage women with, and and I want to even use it to move in and talk about reframe your shame and your work with people and their freedom is for any woman on mission who's struggling with addiction or even know someone or love someone who's struggling with any form of addiction, God's compassion is not cut off from you. And He is moving toward you in grace and in love. And if you're worried that there's some step into the light moment where He is going to zap you down, that is not how He works. He loves His kids. I just believe having watched so many people up close in their stories, having lived through my own story, I just know that I know that I know that He is even compassionate towards us for the ways that our bodies experience brokenness, even in the form of addiction, that like different gifts that he would give us to be good, that like, I just know he's like, oh, I hate this for you guys. I hate that like, that this is how your fallen bodies are having to process things now. It's not all like anger and fire and brimstones and like, why did you step out of line? And yeah, so I want to use that even just pivot to say, number one, thank you so much for your work helping people experience true freedom. And I think one thing that just draws me so much to you that makes me like want to call you my pastor is because you make freedom sound more beautiful than shame, which it just is. (laughs) So will you tell us a little bit about Reframe Your Shame and the message behind this book? It just came out in August. And yeah, some hopes, prayers, desires you have for the people who read it. Absolutely. So like I said, I think recovery applies to us all because we all have hurts, hangups and habits, hurts, grief, betrayal, you know what I mean? Divorce, trauma, moments in our childhood that were considered less than nurturing are actually abuse. So if we unpack that alone, I would say we have all experienced abuse. So there's trauma in all of our lives. And, you know, the hangups can be things like anger, you know, just where we're really abusing ourselves with our negative self-talk and then we're taking it out on others, we're shaming others. So, and then the habits speak for themselves, that's addiction. So there are areas we all need to recover from. And my goal through Reframe Your Shame is to help everyone realize where they fall on the spectrum of recovery. And just give them tools to help unpack 
these things because we're supposed to unpack shame. We're supposed to feel our emotions. And that's just one of the millions of emotions that God's created, right? He's created, maybe not millions, but you get what I'm saying. Like God created these amazing emotions, but if we don't use them for the what they're purpose to do, then we can actually hurt ourselves. So shame says, I am bad. So if we used it as a signal to change our behavior as a survive, because that's really what it was created to do for survival, then that's great. But if we're unaware, we can take it in and believe this message that there's something fundamentally broken and wrong with us and that what we have done is unforgivable or what has happened to us cannot be forgiven or cleaned or or redeemed by God. So my goal is to just help bring that awareness about shame and how it impacts all of us so we can recover from it and become more shame resilient. And then lastly, really, if the statistics say that 50% of our congregations and churches know someone or have a person that's in addiction in the congregation. So those people are the people that we're on the mission field with. If God's people, lost people, over 50% of our country knows someone or is dealing with an addiction, why aren't we talking about it? Why aren't we growing in awareness of it so that we can help others? So it's not just about the person in the addiction. The people who don't know anything about it can't be compassionate about something they're completely unaware of. So, you know, gosh, that brings me to, oh, anyway, I could go on and on about that. But like, you know, as a pastor, I didn't, you know, addicts were those people, not the home mom who would would approach me at church and say, thank you for sharing your story because I'm hiding wine bottles all over the house. I'm binge drinking while my husband's at work and my children are not safe, like, You know, I was in rehab with women in their 60s and 70s who were doctors, lawyers who wrote themselves prescriptions for benzos and drugs and got addicted. And so it's like we all have something. And so I just want to bring that awareness through Reframe Your Shame and get people talking about trauma, talking about our past so that we can deal with it, get in counseling, get in small groups, get in churches, get in Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is not just about addiction to substances. It's about growing from codependency. So codependency is a childhood dysfunction issue that makes us emotional infants in our adulthood. So I would venture to say we all come from dysfunctional families. So I just want to make people aware that in our adulthood, as Christians, as believers, awareness and continual growth is what the Lord has really charged us to do so that we can have the abundant life that he's called us to. And we can have the joy, the happiness that the Bible describes, but we have to admit our issues, our weaknesses, and humble ourselves. We have to accept his grace and forgiveness and forgive ourselves and ask for forgiveness from others. And we have to apply the work. We have to do the work, go to counseling. I went to trauma therapy. I went to rehabs. Jimmy, my husband, needed gastric sleeve surgery because he couldn't lose weight and he had ballooned up to 420 pounds. So it's like, apply the work and your greatest misery can become your greatest ministry and tie into your purpose and destiny in life. 
Amazing. You know what Reframe Your Shame reminds me of? I mean, in all the best ways. And I want to encourage, I really want to actually encourage everyone listening to get it. And here's why. I started doing this thing at churches a few years ago when I would speak at churches that I called a reverse altar call. And I would say like, listen, we're not going to do the thing where two or three people out of 2,000 come forward and get prayer. We're not going to do the thing where we, you know, other someone who is struggling so much that they're, you know, finally getting the help they need. And so instead, what we're going to do is if you need God, which should be most of us, if you need God to help you in some area, you come to the altar and the rest of y'all can stay where you're at. If you're good, if you've got enough of Jesus, if everything's working out for you, if you got it handled in your own power, you can totally stay where you're at. But like the rest of us, we're going to actually normalize getting help. And we're going to normalize saying, I need Jesus, or I need some help, or I need prayer. I need someone to stand with me. And that is how Reframe Your Shame feels to me. It feels like the reverse altar call for this generation of Jesus followers that we need to all stand up and say, like, listen, we're all struggling here. Like we're all battling shame and it's coming out in different areas for all of us, but freedom is better. So let's step into it and let's talk about it. So I really, if you're listening to this podcast, I just want to massively encourage you. We'll put a link in the show notes. It just came out in August. It would be a great book to get not only for yourself, but like get it for a spouse, get it for a friend. And honestly, I know, Irene, you probably feel the same way, but I always tell book readers, I'm like, this is why we love writing books for you. So we'll start the hard conversations that you can't, you know? Give it to a friend and say like, so what do you think about that chapter? <laughs> you know, right. And let us start the conversation for you because sometimes it's really hard to step into the light in those areas. I want to take a quick left turn and I want to talk about marriages because we pray that one of the byproducts of Go and Tell Gals is that women on running on mission will have healthier marriages. In fact, in our long vision statement, we say like marriages will have stayed together because women will have gotten the equipping and the encouragement they need. I am so grateful for every bit of wisdom I've heard you and Jimmy put out about marriage, but I was wondering if you would speak directly into this issue that we're hearing from a lot of women. We hear from a lot of women who say, I am worried that me stepping into my calling is like ultimately going to put my marriage in danger. And maybe a really distinct flavor of this, like I'm worried if I tell my story, I'm worried if I own a particular part of my testimony, I'm worried if I use a particular gift, I will somehow be threatening this good gift God has given to me. Mm -hmm. Will you speak into that for us? Yes. So my devotion this morning was in Psalm 139, and the Lord was speaking to me about how He knit us in our mother's womb. Like, think about it, our retina, our DNA, our retina imprint, our vocal imprint, everything was designed. All the gifts were designed while we were in the womb. That's before husband came around. (laughs) And, you know, before family came around, before heartache came around. So, before insecurity came around. If we think about making our emphasis and our focus, what if we reframed this thing and looked at it from a different point of view? What if I was so concerned about playing for an audience of one, which is Jesus Christ who knit me 
God knit me in my mother's womb and being obedient to the purpose and the call on my life, which is to operate in the gifts he designed and put in me. So your gift, you're using it, right, on the podcast. Mine, I'm on a stage sharing shameful things, right? That's not everybody's call. You know, you're more impactful, not on a stage, in your communities, in your household. So I would encourage the woman to look at your gifts and be obedient to that. Now, when you make come into covenant of marriage, you now have become one with someone else. So my question to you then is, have you done the work in your communication in your marriage for it to be a safe place where you can share your gifts, your strengths, your weaknesses, where you and your spouse are doing that both ways and leveraging strengths and weaknesses, where it's such a safe place to communicate that you can talk about your fears, about using your gifts, and your spouse can be your blueprint for growth and literally help you heal help you get past your insecurities and help you grow. So you have to admit like that whole honesty thing to yourself, what's holding you back, which it sounds like fear. And then you have to be able to get before God and your spouse. If you can't do it just one-on-one because you guys don't have the communication tools, great. Jimmy and I did it and still do it with our therapist. So our therapist has taught us this tool of how to dialogue with one another in a way where we both feel heard, validated, and then we're able to feel cared for and known that creates safety and a bond. And so if husband is feeling triggered by my gifts being used, perhaps we in the safe environment, we can talk about what's coming up for you, husband, when you see me out on the road going and telling and preaching the gospel, like what is coming up for you so that you can care for that? Because it's not that he doesn't want you to go do your thing. He's There's something else happening on the inside of him. And if you can be that safe place where that can be being unpacked and then in a counseling office is, I think, the best place because then he can receive counsel for to grow in that area. When he realizes, oh my gosh, my behavior doesn't line up with what I believe. I believe I want to, you know, champion my wife, but there's an, so for my husband, it was, he had a strong mom. He didn't want to be controlled. He wanted a wife that was strong and had a good self-esteem, yet he would do everything in his power to minimize my talents and my gifts and keep me small because he was insecure about ever feeling the feelings he felt in his childhood from his mother. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. When that healed, he realized that, oh my gosh, he is my biggest champion and cheerleader now because he realizes it has nothing to do with Irene. It was his issue that he had to confront. But have you, in your communication, created a safe place for those types of that work to happen to grow the marriage? That's so good. And here's what that makes me think of too, is as we're loving and creating that safe space for our spouses or for any relationship where, you know, there needs to be a conversation, we're actually loving that person really well. Because God's best is them processing this hangup they have about somebody else's calling. And so we're actually, if it is a spouse, we are actually being an incredible wife to say like, okay, number one, right, I'm not going to feel totally offended by this. I'm not going to 
also like immediately give in to something that may not feel like obedience to me. I'm going to create a safe space where we can process it and you can tell me what you think. And by doing that, I'm loving God well and I'm loving you well and I'm loving me well, you know? Man, I love that so much. I want to give like a quick caveat because I've heard from two women just in the last week who wanted to have conversations like this and went to counselors. They got a a recommendation from someone else, or they saw someone that a friend saw. And I just happened to have literally had two conversations in the last week where women have said in that very first conversation with a counselor they had not seen before with a spouse that they felt belittled and unsafe and maybe even like ganged up on. And I just want to hold space to say, if your counselor or your therapist makes you feel belittled or ganged up on, or or maybe even you notice that like maybe there's an agenda here one way or the other. I don't think that's the norm. By the grace of God, I think most Christian counselors are really trying to help people move forward. But it's also okay to say, hold on, let me see if we can find somebody else. And I would say the same for your spouse. If they go and say like, uh, this doesn't feel safe for me. I'm feeling attacked or I'm feeling like there's assumptions made about me. It happens. Counselors, therapists are human. They might have bad days. They might have their own story. It's okay to find somebody else. It's okay to try somebody else. Yeah. And with that being said, can I add this too, that much as it might be the humanity of that counselor that may be an issue and it's okay to go find another one, there also needs to be within us the ability to check ourselves to say, what am I making up? I'm making, could it be that I'm making that I'm being ganged up on. Like my counselor that helped me get to read at rehab, I felt like she was ganging up on me with Jimmy, but it was intentional to get me help. So I would say reality test it. Like the data, what you've experienced, the data, reality test it with a non-biased party and see if it's something that might be in you. You know what I mean? That might have nothing to do with the counselor. And I don't know your thoughts on this, but I would say also a great mark of a healthy counseling situation would be one where you can say, hey, let me process what I'm feeling even right now. I'm feeling like maybe I'm being ganged up on, <laughs> you yes. know? And, the, and and if they're patient and compassionate enough to say like, okay, it's interesting that you feel that way. Let's unpack it, you know? Then chances are you're in a really healthy spot, you know? That's really good. Wow. That'll help you. Yeah. Yeah. I've already told everyone listening, I need you to go get reframe your shame. I need you to follow Irene on Instagram. I definitely need you to follow her husband too, because their marriage wisdom and insight is just out of this world. But Irene, will you just tell our listeners anywhere else they can connect with you? Sure. So the at marriage equation on Instagram is two equals one, our Instagram page. And you can visit our website at two equals one spelt out.com. And we do marriage coaching once a month on Zoom live, where we're working through all of these tools and helping couples grow. So that's a great way to stay connected. And we also have a podcast that just released and it's like in the top 50 podcasts right now. Yeah. So we partnered with XO Marriage. It's the two equals one podcast on the XO Marriage platform. And it's a cinematic podcast. So you can watch it on YouTube. You can listen to it in the car either way, but it's real and it's raw. So if you want to do some work and get inspired to do it through our story and how we overcame 
check us out. Love. So grateful. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We are so blessed. Thank you for your pastoring, your shepherding, your kindness, your compassion. We're just, we are on your team and grateful to be there. Thank you so much for having me. And if I could just encourage the listeners to reach out for help, reach out for help. You're not alone. There's nothing new under the sun. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to reach out for help. It's the bravest thing you'll ever do. So good. Thank you, God. Thank you so much, Irene. All right, friends, as promised, we have just a few resources. If any of this has hit a point of sensitivity for you where you just need to process or talk to someone, number one, we always encourage you to go to betterhelp.com where you can find an online therapist to speak to. But we have a few other resources as well. Irene specifically gave us the recommendation of the Meadows Recovery Center, which is the recovery center she went to to help with addiction. I also would highly suggest going to onsiteworkshops.com. Onsite is an incredible emotional health and mental health resource center in Tennessee that offers a ton of benefits and a ton of different programs for people in different stages of their life. Irene also suggested Googling Imago Relationships and Imago Relationships is a certain style of relationship counseling that you can find in your area. And then lastly, we want to remind you, if you didn't know, that the suicide hotline number, the national suicide hotline number is 988. And we just know that sometimes as feelings of shame and addiction and even mental health come up, that we need someone to talk to in an emergency setting. And we would massively encourage you to use that number or to share it if you need it. We are so grateful to be on your team. God is absolutely mighty in you. He loves you. And we get to be the gals who go and tell in his name. Let's go. Mm-hmm.